Wednesday. We kicked off Lent. We now have a 40-day journey, not including Sundays, headed up to prepare us for Jesus' death and resurrection on Easter Sunday. And uh, as we make this journey together, we're going to be looking at both blessing and brokenness in our lives through the light of the Old Testament scriptures. And so this morning, we're going to start at the beginning. And uh, there's kind of a lot here, so pray that the Lord would lead me in just everything I share. Um, But we begin early in Genesis, uh, the ancient scriptures, and listen for their incredible hope and insight. And this is where the story begins in uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, on day six of creation, let us make humanity in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air, livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then that's the blessing that we're going to look at this morning. The second piece is the brokenness, and this is chapter 2, verse 15, in the midst of the story of Adam and Eve, where, the, verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In the third chapter, we pick up the story of the serpent in the garden. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. But then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now to skip forward a bit, at this point in the story, the woman, excuse me, the man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent, and the serpent doesn't have a leg to stand on, as the joke goes. I think I've used that before, but it's still the same. We pick up at the end of the chapter, uh, God curses the man, the woman, and the snake. And at the end, uh, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? Lord Jesus, uh, help me do my best to share the truth, to share things that are your heart and your passion and your life and glorify you and your Father and the Holy Spirit. And it will help us wrestle with who we are and whose we are and how you want to come alongside and help us in this journey of life and blessing and brokenness. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The question I want us to look at today is, is just a really basic question, but it's also a really big question. And that is, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? And with this question in particular is the component that is talked about in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Are we uh, mostly good? You know, most humanity does good things and, and all that, but maybe we're a little evil and selfish? Or are more, some others of us think, we're mostly evil and bad and broken? Maybe just can find a little good to be and do once in a while when we're lucky? What are we? Now, if you were to watch the news online or on TV, you'd probably be reminded that there's an awful lot of evil and brokenness out there. It surrounds our life. We see examples of it every day, even from folks we least expect. You know, I, I think, for instance, of uh, the movie star. Gosh, of course, now I can't even think of his name. Um, the guy that slapped Chris Rock, remind me. Will Smith, thank you. Sorry, Will. Um, you know, Will Smith at the Oscars a little over a year ago, um, he heard Chris sharing a joke about his wife that he didn't like at all. And so his worst part of him led him to get up out of his seat, walk forward, and slap Mr. Rock in the face, right? And for the last year, Will Smith has, I'm sure, felt horrible at what he did. And with all the good that Will Smith has done through his acting and through his movies over the years, you know, I think we can give him a little grace, both to him and Chris Rock. But that's part of the wrestling of humanity. All of us probably know some moment in our story where we've been tempted to get up and slap somebody. And hopefully we haven't. But that temptation is always there. It wrestles with us from the inside out. It, in the news this last week, in the last couple of weeks, Alec Murdaugh is on trial for perhaps killing his wife and son. And so where is a country, those that are interested are keeping an eye on this and trying to figure out, is he mostly a good person and somebody else did it? Or is there some evil there that should send him to jail for a long, long time? We wrestle with what it means to be human in our lives, and as we do, we wrestle together. Now, evolution without God, an atheistic view of evolution or an 
agnostic view of evolution gives us some kind of an answer at its base. And the base that evolution would give us is this. It's all about the survival of the fittest. Now, that's a great principle for life, I can tell you. That's a sure way to bring a lot of havoc upon the world. We saw this ethic worked out and lived out, I think, a lot by Adolf Hitler in Germany in World War II. They said, we're the Aryans. We're the best. We're the ones who should keep on going. And if you're less than us, then you don't deserve to live. So if you're Jewish, if you're old, if you're weak, if you're sick, we don't need you. We don't want you. It's about survival of the fittest. And we know we're the fittest. Well, fortunately, Hitler, Hitler's day ran its course. And we have not, by and large, as a world, lived by that ethic. The Bible gives us a very different image of our struggle at being human and doing it well. The Bible gives us both the blessing and the brokenness and says that in reality we are constantly a mixture of both these things. The blessing comes to us at the beginning in chapter 1 of Genesis where God, when he begins to make humanity, he says, I'm going to make them in my image they're going to have my stamp on their lives. Both male and female, they're going to be made in my image. So that when they look at one another, they will not just see other human beings. They will be reminded about the one who made them and created them all. And that word of blessing has been a tremendous, it's the tremendous heart of the gospel. There are so many people out there who have been told a lot of their lives, maybe by parents or by bullies or by whoever, you're ugly, you're no good, you're nothing but evil, you'll never amount to anything. And so there are so many people out there who are broken, thinking that the world would be better off without them than with them. And so the word of blessing is a word for every human being on the planet. You are valuable. God made you very good. There is something inside you that God sees that you may not be able to see. And you are to own that gift for yourself in this life, and it will prepare you for the life to come. That is the gift of God's blessing. But then, as we continue in the story, we don't just see the blessing, but we also see the extra component of the brokenness, don't we? God sets the boundaries for humanity and says, listen, if you're going to stay in my goodness and love, you've got to keep to the rules. And I'm only going to give you one rule. Stay away from the tree in the middle of the garden that's going to teach you things that you really don't need to learn. Well, the sneaky snake comes along and does what evil has always been doing for years, begins to deceive us and lie to us and begins to accuse God of being the bad guy. God's the bad guy. You shouldn't listen to him. He doesn't want you to be like God. And so you're missing out. So trust me. And Adam and Eve do. 
and the rest is history. We see immediately the results of their actions. We see the brokenness. Their eyes are opened to their sin, to their shame, to their nakedness. But their eyes quickly begin to close to their creator and to the one who made them. They begin the blame game. Adam says it's Eve's fault. Eve says it's the serpent's fault. They begin to hide in fear of the one who made them. Fear becomes a motivating characteristic of who they are. They also experience other brokenness, greater pain in life, harder time to make a living and get life from the ground and from the earth and to live a life. There's much more challenge, much more trouble, much more sorrow, much more brokenness. In this instant, the, what the Bible, the picture the Bible paints is this, that in our disobedience, we made a definite choice to move away from God and towards selfishness, isolation, independence, and ultimately, evil. And in that break, God saw that it was so significant that he could not allow Adam and Eve to stay in the garden of life, to still eat from the tree of life and live forever. Because when you allow evil people to live forever, that's not usually a good recipe for life. And just in case we aren't sure about how serious the problem of human brokenness is, he continues to tell the story of how it affected and impacted uh, just in the next few chapters. The very first thing, the two first boys born, Cain and Abel, what does Cain do? He murders his brother Abel out of envy. And then on top of that, we see early tribalism. And with humanity living extra long lives, we see that things aren't going well at all. In fact, things are going so bad, only two or three chapters ahead, in chapter 6, verse 5, Genesis records for us, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I'll wipe out from the face of the earth the human race and all the animals, birds, and creatures and move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. The only verse of good news is verse 8, the last verse, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This early picture in Genesis is to be a lesson for us as a human race about how serious the problem of sin is in our lives, how seriously we are broken from that good and perfect image that Adam and Eve had in the garden. It's so serious that God says in this, these early chapters, okay, I'm going to step back. And I, Adam and Eve and your children, I'm going to let you all run the show. And I'm going to leave you to figure it out on your own and we'll see what happens next. And then a very few chapters later, the conclusion is, well, it's not good. And it's not good at all. It's so bad that let's wipe everything out with a flood and I'll try again with Noah and his kids. 
the lessons of these early chapters of Genesis are twofold about who we are as human beings. We are, on the one hand, extremely blessed, stamped with goodness, made in the image of God. But on the other hand, we are deeply flawed and broken, living in a broken world. And we don't have a solution for this second piece. Part of the theological teaching here, the teaching of the blessing is called the Imago Dei, right? Latin for being made in the image of God. The theological teaching for the fall is often called total depravity. What total depravity means is there is nothing that we can do to fix our brokenness problem on our own. There is nothing you or I can do individually on our own without God to fix our brokenness. It's impossible. It's too big a job because the thoughts and intents of our hearts are only evil and that evil continually. And so we need help. And so we need saving. And so we need a Savior. We'll get to that in a minute. But these are the two things. And in our cultural tension today, one of the things we find both in church and in society is as human beings, we tend to wrestle with what resonates with us best. The more progressive side of our culture that is hopeful that with time, with knowledge, with technology, humanity will do better and be better. The progressive side lives out of the focus on the blessing. And oftentimes the answer from those of us that are more progressive is this. If we could just teach everybody that God loves them, that they are made in the image of God, that God has stamped on their life that they're good and that they're holy and that they're valuable, if everybody could just learn that one lesson, then our world's problems would be fixed and solved. And so the progressives among us like to emphasize that promise and that blessing, which is great. Whereas the, maybe you might call them traditionalists on the other side, instead the traditionalists say, but you can't forget we're all so deeply broken. And the only way to repair brokenness is through a savior. And the only way you can be saved is through repentance, and that's turning to God and saying, crying out to God, God, I can't fix me. Only you can fix me, and only Jesus can fix me. That's the, the, the truth that we need to hear. But sometimes each side we miss out that it's both and. We as human beings, we're stamped with both simultaneously in our life all the time. And so for my brothers and sisters that empathize more with the progressive approach, it is good to be reminded that, that it's okay to talk about sin, it's okay to talk about brokenness, it's okay to talk about repentance as part of the process of God transforming us to be the best we can be. One of the areas where if we emphasize too much the blessing and not enough the brokenness, one of the ways that can affect us is this, that we begin 
actually both sides begin to try to, we like to make God look like us. We try to make God look like us. And so uh, on one side, on the progressive side, that everything is good about us, the way we can do that is we say that, well, everybody is unique, everybody's a, a creative individual, everybody's, you know, not like anybody else, and as they are who they are, they don't need to be changed. They just need to be loved and told they're valuable. And that's it. And the piece, of course, they miss is we're broken. And brokenness requires change and repentance. Then on the flip side, the traditionalists among us, in the past and sometimes in the present, we also can struggle by getting too locked up in brokenness and not not offering blessing. And oftentimes we do that by sort of like Hitler's group. We begin to think that God loves us normal folk. God loves the normal folk. He loves the wasps, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And if you don't look like that, if you don't act like that, if you're not like that culture, if you don't speak that language, we begin to think, well, God loves us and he's going to save us. But if you're outside of us, whew, you're in a whole heck of a lot of trouble. And y'all, that's a lie, right? That's a lie. But that's what we believe. And so as human beings, every human being on the planet, we're a blend of the blessing and a blend of the brokenness. And we see examples. Jesus gives us examples of the brokenness. In uh, Mark's gospel, Jesus was talking about Pharisees, about what's okay to eat, what's not okay to eat. And he turns the conversation to the real important issues. In verse 20 of chapter 7 of Mark's gospel, Jesus tells him, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them and makes them unclean. For it is from within, it's out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Like sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from the inside and defile a person. What is Jesus speaking about? Jesus is reminding us of those things that are in our hearts that are a part of our brokenness and sin and shame. Sexual brokenness. Brokenness in our relationships, wanting to murder somebody, wanting in our malice to get angry and hate somebody or hit somebody or beat somebody. Greed that hungers for more money or more stuff or more in an addictive way. We see in greed the heart of addiction and the brokenness of addiction. To be deceitful and deceptive and lie. To see life as one big party and then we just need to be as wild as possible and enjoy the party until it destroys us. All these pictures are pictures Jesus give of the broken life and remind us that we are broken people. In, in other ways, we can see physical brokenness. You know, when a child is born blind or born unable to hear, or even in my own family, my own kids who have type 1 diabetes and Crohn's, 
you know, at some place their broken body did the wrong thing and harmed itself. All this is a result of our human brokenness. And so all these things, we need saving and transformation in order to change. The good news is, is that in Genesis, as, he, as God curses the serpent, he gives us one cryptic phrase of hope. What he says to the serpent in the 15th verse has been hard for people to understand throughout the ages. But we see the hope of Christ in it where God says to the serpent, I will put enmity and anger between you and the woman, between your offspring of evil and her offspring. He will crush your head, serpent, though you will strike his heel. This has been a verse that uh, Jewish theologians wrestled with for years. It never could find a satisfactory answer. It seems to only make sense for Jesus and for those of us who have understood it in the light of Jesus that the child of Eve would be Jesus Christ, that he would come and that evil would strike him on the heel in such a way that would nail him to a cross for the rest of us. But in him dying on the cross as evil has struck him on the heel, in that very act will be an act of victory that Jesus will crush the head of evil itself. And so Jesus becomes our picture of saving grace. The only thing that can heal our brokenness and help us respond fully to God's blessing. Now, um, the area where our culture is wrestling with this in a great deal, right? I mean, we could talk about all ways this affects us. We could talk about Addiction and Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. We could talk about lust and pornography and all those things. We could talk about sexual brokenness in so many different ways. Um, I just remember her hearing a story this week. Beth Moore, one of the leading female Bible teachers in America, is sharing more and more of her story. And part of the story that she shared that she hadn't shared up to this point is that her dad was her abuser as a kid. She had to go to church every Sunday, watching her dad be a deacon and an usher and a leader in the church, but knowing behind closed doors he was doing something to her that was incredibly harmful and evil. And in the midst of all that, she still grew up seeing the hope and life and saving grace of Jesus. In the midst of all that, she still grew up seeing in God a good and perfect father that her own dad was nowhere near at all. Y'all, that's serious brokenness. But in God's grace, Beth Moore shares how God has shaped her heart and life and transformed it in healing ways to help her live into the image of God and overcome those evil things. Now, in our own community where this impacts us is in the area of sexual brokenness and in our modern conversations about human sexuality. In our conversations about human sexuality, we also wrestle with 
what to do with that identity. Uh, and as we wrestle with what to do with that, again, the progressive part of the uh, community wants to say, listen, it's a part of their identity. It's a part of who they are. God still has stamped his image on them too. And so God is still with them. And that's true. But the traditional part of our community also reminds us, I think, of another true thing. And that is, as human beings, we are all deeply flawed and broken. And we all need a Savior to show us how to live God's best life in the midst of that brokenness. And so one part of our community wants to put just everything in the blessing category. The other part sometimes just wants to put everything in the brokenness category. And the people whose lives this impacts the most are struggling to figure out, does God really love me? Does God really like me? Young people, for instance, who commit suicide these days, a decent part of the young people and teenagers that commit suicide oftentimes are young people that are wrestling with their sexual identity. And they think that they can't be loved. They think they can't be valuable. As the church of Jesus, perhaps we have sent that message. But for all of us, we need to be reminded that every human being is a mixture of both the blessing and the brokenness. We think of incredible people who God has blessed in amazing ways, like Elton John. His gift of music has inspired billions. We think of, uh, oh, he was in Freddie Mercury, in Queen, also music that has inspired millions. I think of Alan Turing. You know the story of Alan Turing? We wouldn't have won World War II without Alan Turing. He decoded Germany's encryption code. He was a brilliant mathematician. He was also someone who identified homosexually. And he almost single-handedly cracked the code that helped us to know exactly what Germany was going to do, when they were going to do it, where they were going to do it, and helped us win World War II. A few years later, he was prosecuted by England for living a same-sex lifestyle. They put him on medication. He could have gone to prison. A few short years later, he died. Many think it very likely was suicide. And so in the life of humanity, as human beings, part of our journey is recognizing that we're all human and holding up the Christian gospel, the gospel of Jesus, which is you are valuable to God. God loves you. You are stamped with his love and goodness. You are made in his image. But we are all also incredibly broken people that need redeeming, that need saving, that need healing, that need to be made whole. So how do we do that? Well, as Christians, we do it in a few ways. We start, number one, with Jesus, right? Jesus is our Savior. Jesus has come to save all God's people and all the people God made if we will give our heart and life in surrender to him as Lord, if we will put him in charge, if we'll put him in charge, 
and he will begin to shape, mold, and make us new. How does he do that? Well, he does that in several different ways. He does that with the help of this book, where we can look at Jesus' teaching, where we can look at God's teaching that can challenge us. Sometimes there are things in here we wrestle with that we like. Sometimes there are things in here that we don't want to hear, but maybe we still need to wrestle with them. And then also with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can't be transformed without Jesus and the gift of his Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in and begins to help us make new decisions and help us make new choices and help us begin to live a different life. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit that brings God's transforming grace. And then finally, we need each other. We need each other. In our brokenness, we need to be able to go to each other, talk with each other, pray with each other, counsel with each other, trying to be both truthful and gracious with each other in ways that will help us encounter God's best. And so these are the tools God has given us to live God's best life because you know what God wants for your life? I can tell you what God wants. He wants you and me to find a way back into the garden. He wants you and me to find a way back into the garden but we can't go back into the garden broken. We can't. We're not allowed. So he has to deal with our brokenness first. He has to deal with our brokenness first. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4 when he's talking to the Gentiles about how they're living their life. This is what he says, chapter 4, verse 22. Listen, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Now that former way of life, he's talking about the life of brokenness. To put off your old self. Put that old life of brokenness away, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds, and instead to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul is saying here is God wants to shape us with the help of the Holy Spirit in his true righteousness and holiness to help us look more like God, to restore that image that has been broken and to give us a life that will make us ready to head back to paradise, to head back to Eden, to be ready again to take from the tree of life and enjoy life everlasting. And that is what God is longing for for us as a human race. I love the way George MacDonald puts it, and I'm just I'm going to paraphrase it. George MacDonald is a Scottish author, one of my favorites, uh, influenced C.S. Lewis and a whole bunch of other folks. But what George MacDonald would say over and over and over again, you want God to kind of love you and leave you as you are, but God is the kind of God he is not going to be satisfied until you and I are good all the way through. God is a God that will keep working on us and working on us and working on us until you and I are good all the way through. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what we need because we live in a broken world. We live in a fractured human race. We're at each other's throats a lot. And it's only both being a part of the blessing and the brokenness 
and finding Jesus' redemption and healing and wholeness that we can be the good people God made us to be for his glory that will infect this world with the amazing love of Jesus that we all so desperately need. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we all, as we've lived our life in our own body, we all know what brokenness is in us. And yes, some things we don't see and blindside us, but there's a lot that we get to know quite well. And Lord, we all struggle with our own brokenness. This morning, I pray all we can do is we can offer it to you. And pray, O oh God, that you would forgive us. We'd be Lord of our heart and life. And uh, by the strength and power of your Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, you can move us toward holiness. You can move us toward perfect love. And Lord, our prayers go out to any heart and life who today has missed out on your blessing, who has bought into the lie that they're not valuable, that they're not loved, that they're not worth saving, that there's nothing special about them. Father, help us as well receive your blessing and offer your blessing to every person we meet, no matter where they're beginning. For through the blessing and brokenness that we can be made to look more like you again. And Lord, give us hearts and lives to be authentic disciples who look like you and follow you, who love most like you. And Lord, who are ready to be back in the garden with you forever. Lord, let it be in us and in our world through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord.